Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior, and as we look at who is this Jesus, I want to start this series by going to the Old Testament. We're going to be going to a time of King David. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we are going to be reading uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we, as we read God's Word. And we, uh, the verses will be up there, but this is, this is 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I've said that three or four times, so if you've not recognized that. Verse 1. Says this. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8, Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my, servant David, to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from, from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give them rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you. You shall... Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom? He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, and when with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As, as I took it from Saul, whom I put it away from before you, in your house, in your kingdom, shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne will, will be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you today, Lord, as we look to your word, as we look to your word spoken through the prophet Nathan, to your servant David. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will come and minister to us today, Lord, that you will re- remind us of your promises and of who you are. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, 
this, these opening verses here that we are looking at, uh, we are at a point in time within Israel's history where David had defeated the enemies around him. And I, I should give you just a quickly brief history if you do not understand what had, what had taken place here. So if you go way, way back to Moses, who led God's people out of, out of Egypt, and he was going to lead them into the promised land, but because of disobedience, they did not get to get in. Well, then Joshua leads God's people into the promised land, and God had promised that this land would be for God's people. And now we are to the point of David. And David is now to the point of there is finally rest in the land of Israel. David, who was a mighty warrior king, had defeated all of Israel's enemies. And now David was finally at a place of peace and rest in the land. And during this time, David has this realization of life. David's looking at his own place. David at this point was living in a palace and David looks out from this palace and David realizes something. I'm living in a really big house and my house is fantastic. And there is God's house. It was simply a tent. So David has this thought. He thinks, why am I living in this palace when God's tent is just simply a tent. And so David calls out to the prophet Nathan, and that's where it picks up. The king said to Nathan, this is uh, in verse 2, See now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. In verse 3, do we have verse 3 back there? Throw this one up there. It says, And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I love what Nathan says here. So, so David calls upon Nathan, which Nathan would have been a prophet at this time. And David's like, listen, I, I want to build God a dwelling place. And Nathan looks at him and he just says, David, go do all that is in your heart. For God is with you. When I first read those words, this realization came to me that those are probably the words that every person would love to hear on this side of heaven. Um, if you are married, um, how often does your spouse look at you and say, John, the Lord's with you. Do whatever is in your heart. Have you ever been in any sort of discussion with your spouse or maybe with a friend and you have a maybe like an idea, and do they ever just look at you and just say, just go and do that wonderful idea? And that's what, what the prophet Nathan does here. He looks at David. David had established himself as God's mighty warrior and king, and Nathan simply looks at David and says, David, whatever is in your heart, you can accomplish it. But what happens that night? As you look down, uh, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan. And I want to just point something out here real quick. These verses, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through the 4 through 13, 4 through through 17 here all the way through. These are considered the pinnacle words in the Old Testament. Now, as we were were reading it, you were probably possibly getting lost in the midst of it, and you're probably sitting there thinking, Pastor, you you were reading these words, but I was kind of losing it halfway through. These words that, that the Lord speaks through Nathan, 
is actually the longest monologue we get from the Lord since the prophet and since God's leader, Moses. So God called Moses to lead God's people. These are the longest section within Scripture that we have since that time. Scholars often call this section the the climax of David's life. This is the foundation of all the prophets and writings of of the Old Testament. Some have called this section of Scripture the center and focus of the Deuteronomic history itself. This is the most crucial theological statements in the Old Testament. And I'm wondering if you guys picked up on all of that when we read it. Maybe not. So let's dive back in and reread. Why is this? Why are these verses so important? What is simply happening here that people would say, as we look at God's word, as we look at Old Testament and New Testament, these words that the Lord speaks to Nathan are so vital for the Old Testament and for, and for David's life. Well, I'll look at verses 4 through 7. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. He said, go tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? What God is saying here to the prophet is says, listen, go and tell David. David, I want to remind you of who I am. The God of Israel who brought God's people up out of Egypt, out of slavery, who led them into the wilderness and then eventually into the promised land. God said, have I ever asked for a tent or a house? Have, have I ever asked for anyone at any point in time to build me a house? And the answer is no. And then God says, well, what about the judges? Which, if you do not know that, that's within history, um, Israel's history. You've got Moses and Joshua and God's leader. And then Israel went into a time of judges that would be leaders and judges and also military militants in the time of of Israel before there was kings. And God says, during that time, did I ever, did I ever request a place to be dwelling in? Of course, the answer is no. God has never asked for a house. In fact, Scripture also teaches us that God doesn't even need a house. But David, who wanted to build the Lord a place, and the Lord said, tell him no. I don't need a house, never wanted a house. I've always been leading my people. But then as you look at verses 8 through 11, it says, Now therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following these sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your, your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people, people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies 
Moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make you a house. So we have to kind of jump back to really understand why these verses are so vital. See, hundreds of years prior, God spoke to a man by the name of Abraham. And most of you have probably have heard of that name, Father Abraham. There's a song that every time I sing or say Father Abraham, I usually think of this kid's song. Does anyone know the kid's song? All the college students are like, Father Abraham. Anyways, God spoke to Abraham. Now, this was hundreds of years. This is not like, like some, some, some small coincidence of events. God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of my people, and I'm going to make you a great nation. David is the fulfillment of this. This is why these verses are so vital. What God had spoken hundreds of years prior was now finally getting fulfilled in the life of David. David, you are the fulfillment of what I have promised to my people from years ago. And they had now finally come to a place. They were now dwelling in the land that God had promised to Abraham. And they were now dwelling finally in times of peace. And why this is so vital is because what we see here is that God's word, God's promise from spoken from long, long, long ago was finally fulfilled in this man, David. And the Lord says, listen, Nathan, go back and tell David this. Remind David that I don't need a place, but also remind David that David was once a shepherd boy living out in the field, taking care of sheep, and I have now made him prince of Egypt, and I have fulfilled my promises thus far. But then we also get, this is what the Lord is going to do through David. And this is where, where God's promises continue to move forward in verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down, this is 2 Samuel 7, 12, with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Okay, leave, leave those verses up there. We need to kind of under, understand something. When God spoke through the, through the prophets in the Old Testament, it was oftentimes two different prophecies taking place at the same time. Oftentimes it would be, okay, this is what the immediate future is going to be looking like, but also, let me also expand upon this and talk about my kingdom and, and the future that will to come. So when you look at these verses here, as God speaks to David, he says, listen, David, your son will build me a house, which is true. King Solomon, David's son, eventually builds a temple for the Lord, but in verse 13, it says, He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Is Solomon still on the throne? The answer is no. What God is doing here, what God is speaking here, is he is talking about a future throne. He's talking about a future event where the bloodline of David will eventually rule on a throne forever. And that was not Solomon. And, I, and he says, I will be to him a father, 
and he shall be to me a son. What God is doing here is that, is that he is, once again, he's speaking of the next generation, but God's also speaking about what will to come. David, through you, there will be a throne that's going to last forever. David, through you, he will be like a son to me. I will be his father. He will be as a son. And I will establish his kingdom and his throne. There will be no end. Now, I share all this because as we are getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus has truly fulfilled the promises spoken by the prophet Nathan out of 2 Samuel. And this is what I wanted to kind of show to us today is why do we celebrate Christmas? Who is this Jesus that we are just simply talking about and speaking about in this Christmas season is that this Jesus is the one who fulfills these words out of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Is that when Nathan speaks to David and says, listen, David, you're not going to build it, but, but let me just simply tell you this. God is going to, through you, establish a kingdom forever where, where his throne, there will be no end, and he will rule on this throne. So I wanted to just kind of point out today that Jesus fulfills all of what God had spoken through 2 Samuel. John chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. It says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen, this is Jesus, and sheep and pigeons, and money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. This is Jesus doing all this. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered it was written, zeal for, our, for your house will consume him. So Jesus said to him, what sign? So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. They remembered these words because this is the words that they used to accuse Jesus, to put Jesus to, to death. But in Matthew 27, after the, um, after the resurrection, the next day at the day of, of preparations, the chief priest gathered before Pilate. And he said, sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, three days I will rise again. Jesus links himself to the temple of the Lord throughout his teachings, but also why they ended up killing him. That Jesus is basically saying, listen, this temple I can destroy, and within three days I will rise it up. The temple of God being Jesus, his body. In Colossians 2.9 it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The second claim Jesus talks about is the internal throne, Matthew 19. It says, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left his houses and brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
Hebrews points out that Jesus is now sitting on this eternal throne. Hebrews 12, too, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him endured the cross, despising it to shame, and sits at the right hand of God on the throne of God. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that does not end. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that is imperishable. Jesus is the king. He sits on the throne. In John 18, when Jesus interacts with Pilate, he said this, So Pilate entered the headquarters, this is as they are about to kill him, again, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Mark those lines right there. Are you the king of the Jews, Jesus? Pilate understood this, and Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others Others say it to you about me. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and they might have delivered over, and I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. All the words spoken through the prophet Nathan to David, is fulfilled within Christ Jesus. About a kingdom that will have no end. About a king who will sit on his throne and have all authority and all rule. And he shall be like a son and I will be like a father. The son of God, Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of God, who holds all the authority. And everything that was spoken back then was fulfilled. Look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Have you ever noticed how Matthew opens up his Gospel? Matthew 1.1 says this, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who? The son of David. The son of Abraham. The fulfillment of what was spoken has come to be in Christ Jesus. And you might be sitting there thinking, Okay, Pastor, how does this have anything to do with Christmas, why are you sharing all of these prophecies that have been fulfilled in Christ? Because as I think about the Christmas season, and I think about this every single year, guys, we live in a culture that is consumed with the Christmas season right now. We live in a culture that is uh, uh, financially based upon uh, you and I spending money on items and toys and material goods uh, to sustain our economy. Uh, If it is not spent, it drastically hurts the stock market and the economy around us. So everyone is telling us this is what the Christmas season is all about. The Christmas season is about getting together. It's about the snow. It's about the presents. It's about this joyful time. And yet, when I look around to our culture, this is the last thing I have seen and witnessed around us. Just this past week, I was at Walmart because the Walmart online pickup did not work, which if, if, you've, if you are a parent and have kids, the Walmart pickup is one of the greatest inventions. You don't even have to walk into that crazy place. But I had to walk in, and, and I was there at 4 o'clock on like a Thursday, and the place was absolutely packed, and I see person after person just walking around, just, just kind of randomly getting, getting items and getting groceries and getting, getting this. And, I'm, and guys, I was just like looking around, and this was right after I was sitting here studying about how the king has finally arrived. And as I looked out into our culture, 
And I realize it's Walmart, and I realize Walmart is, you know, it's, that's a whole other story. You know, I wasn't at the fancy store like Target and Meyer. I was at the, you know, the lower class America there. But as I looked out to the Walmart abyss, I was just like, these people are just mindlessly shopping and getting ready for, for this Christmas season through this idea of just gifts and material things. And I just wanted to just scream, the king has finally come. The king has arrived. The promises for thousands of years, the promises spoken all the way from the book of Genesis to David, through the prophets, through all of the Old Testament, through multiple writers, has all finally come to a head in Christ Jesus. And it's like the king has arrived. And as I think about this Christmas season, I just, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, church, what are we celebrating? What is the point of all of this? The point is that there's now a king on the throne. And even those words don't always really hit, hit home for us because you and I don't, don't live in kingdoms anymore. You know, for the last, you know, hundreds of years, the entire world no longer lives underneath kings and rulers. And, and we live in this, like, democracy or republic, or we live in a time to where we don't really grasp the understanding of what it means that there is a king. We've read about kings. Most of the kings you and I have ever read about are usually bad. But there's a king on the throne. The king who has all authority whose kingdom does not end, whose rule will never be broken. He never comes down. He's going to rule from now until for the rest of eternity. And what we are gathering for and celebrating this Christmas is the birth of this king, the king of the Jews. And it's interesting that that's the words they use for Jesus at the end of his life, And it's the same words they use for Jesus at the beginning of his life. Have you ever recognized that? When Pilate speaks to him, are you the king of the Jews? I want to leave us with a Christmas account of Matthew chapter chapter 2. It says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem. Of, of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When, when Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen it, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, this is what they did. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, their, their, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, for they departed to their own country by another way. When these wise men come to Jesus, when they recognize and see it says that they just fell down and they worshiped him. And as I think about this Christmas season, church, family, as I think about as you are preparing for Christmas and doing all of your, of your, of your holiday activities, I want to remind you this day that, that the king has arrived, that the fulfillment of all the words of the Old Testament are now fulfilled and it's found to be in Christ Jesus, the king, who has a throne that will not end. And he has all the authority and all of the rule. In this Christmas season, I want us to come and to worship him, to bow down. And I would, I would honestly say that literally as well, that, that this Christmas season, we, his people, those who call upon his name, those of us who recognize who this Jesus is, to actually come and to bow down and to worship him in our homes and just in our lives each and every day as we celebrate this Christmas season. One of the biggest things I absolutely despise about how America does Christmas is the stress level that people take on. Church people, this is a celebration of the king. This is not a time to be stressful and worried about whatever this culture tells us to be worried about. Worried about, oh, I don't know what to get and who, who to go here and I got this. And don't be a zombie. I'm telling you. Come and worship the king. That is, that is the only person who your allegiance goes to. That is the only one who we worship and adore and want to please on this side of heaven. Period. And some of us need to be reminded of that. That's partially why I asked the worship team to be singing that, that song, our, our fourth song, and you're probably sitting there like, I've never heard this song. Because it's not just about the manger and all the, the snow and the Christmas time. It's about Jesus Christ, the King that was born. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to pray for, pray for us this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing and give honor and glory and praise to our King one last time. But, but let me just pray for us this season. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, I pray Lord, over, over your church, over your people. Father, you came. You sent your son Jesus to bear the sins of the world. Father, I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season that we would celebrate you, that we would worship you, that we would bow our lives down before you. Hail you as king.
give you honor and glory and praise this, this Christmas season. Father, help, help your people not to get caught up in the culture, in the world around us. But Lord, like the wise men, may we simply come and worship you this, this season. Recognize the birth of the King. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I praise you. Do a work within our hearts this week, Lord. Remind us daily, hourly of your kingdom. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.